Can I ask an honest question? What's the deal with the toilet paper? I mean, seriously. A week ago, uh, my daughter Sarah posted or shared a video that a Costco manager had posted where last Sunday, as they opened at her store, she had her iPhone positioned and she watched people with their carts sprinting to the toilet paper section <laughs> and filling their carts with those oversized uh, purchases of toilet paper. And ever since that point, if you've noticed, there's, you're hard-pressed to find toilet paper anywhere. I mean, Debbie and I were at Costco on Thursday, and then she went on to Sam's as well, and, and uh, they're completely out. Debbie did a search, and you can't find toilet paper at Sam's in a 150-mile radius. She posted that humorously online, and she has a cousin in Scotland who says, in Scotland, they've run out of toilet paper. So, I don't know. Uh, we certainly are living in very unusual days. Uh, people are panicked, and it's seen in their buying and what they're running toward. And so today, I thought it would be appropriate that we talk about fear. And as people of faith, as followers of Jesus, to think in terms of how we respond to fear. Now, allow, allow me to share a definition. E.R. Clendenin defines fear in the following way. Fear is a natural emotional response to a perceived threat to one's security or general welfare. It ranges in degree of intensity from a sense of anxiety or worry to one of utter terror. It can, though, be a useful emotion when it leads to an appropriate caution or measures that would guard one's welfare. On the other hand, fear can be a hindrance to the enjoyment of life if it is induced by delusion or if it lingers and overpowers other more positive emotions such as love and joy. And I might add, if it overpowers faith. And how do we respond when we are afraid? I appreciate David's psalms on many levels, but I appreciate how he describes his response to fear in Psalm 56.3 when he says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in the Lord. What's your response? How do you react when circumstances develop that cause the heart to tremble? Now realize, fear is just an emotional reaction to a perceived threat, real or imagined. It is an emotional response. In other words, it's not necessarily something that you control in terms of when it appears. It just appears. The question is, when it happens, how do you respond? Well, this morning, I want us to think in a very practical way how... As a people of faith, and I assume by your presence today, that's true of you. As a person of faith, 
how you can respond when you are afraid. I don't typically provide handouts related to the message, but today I did because I want to send you home with something that might be useful to you into the week ahead. Some suggestions from God's Word that might move us toward the appropriate response. Now, several of you participated in a Wednesday Bible study series that I entitled, Help! A Believer's Response to Anxiety. And if you look at the handout, you'll notice pretty much it's the same steps that we talked about for six weeks. And I guess in God's providence, it prepared me to be able to, in a wider sense, provide these same words of encouragement to all of us. And so I want us to consider these steps, but I want us to reflect upon them based upon Psalm 56, David's psalm of faith. Now, all of us are familiar to probably to some degree about David's story. I mean, David is that teenager that faced off a giant, fearlessly, I might add, where everybody else was trembling. He trusted the Lord enough to say, I'll take this giant on. And God demonstrated his faithfulness in providing David the victory. But what's noteworthy is in the years that follow, circumstances changed. Now, David rose in popularity and prominence, but when we read Psalm 56, it's not during one of those periods when things are going well for David. In fact, David is on the run. Saul, the king, is pursuing him. Those that he relied upon to be his support are no longer there. He's not sure about tomorrow. He doesn't know what he'll face in the present. And lo and behold, he finds his heart afraid. That's right. The young man that faced down Goliath in his present set of circumstances is fearful. Now David helps us as he explains to us his own response to fear. And that's where the steps that I've highlighted for us might be helpful to us. How do you respond when you are afraid? Well, first of all, what I would suggest is this. When you are afraid, be sure and take responsibility for your thoughts to the degree that you can, that you're able. So much of fear is based on perception. What we see and think is happening, and that causes the heart to suddenly be affected. And so we need to remind ourselves of that because the temptation, when circumstances become difficult, the temptation is to fixate on the problem, to obsess on the situation. And what that often will do is then generate, generate a greater level of fear. It's at that point that you need to take responsibility. Take charge of your thoughts. Take control of them. You are not helpless in that sense. You can choose to redirect your heart. And that's what David models for us. Listen to how that's expressed in the opening verses of Psalm 56. 
It begins with an appeal. He says to God, be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long. An attacker oppresses me. My enemies, he adds, trample me all day long, for many attack me proudly. Verse 3, when I am afraid, that implies that he's experiencing that emotion. When I am afraid, I, notice, put my trust in you. Instead of focusing on whatever it is that's causing his alarm, in this case, his pursuers, he takes responsibility for his thoughts. He says, no, I'm not going to focus on them. I'm going to focus on the one I can trust in. I put, I direct my heart's attention. I put my trust in the Lord. He goes on and adds, in God, verse 4, whose word I pray. See, God's word now comes to his mind in the midst of this. In whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? You see, in fear, David refuses to allow what some might describe as his imminent demise. He refuses to allow that thought to dominate his mind. He doesn't allow his fear to kind of carry him away like a rising river of emotion. He refuses to allow that to happen. He chooses instead to take responsibility for his thoughts and to direct them toward the Lord. Now that's what some of you need to do this week (laughs) in the midst of everything that's going on. You need to take responsibility for the direction of your mind. You need to take responsibility, take charge of your thoughts. Because as you do, it gives you the opportunity to allow your heart to settle as you choose, like David, to direct them toward God. So it starts by taking responsibility. Second, though, when you are afraid, you need to also acknowledge the fear for what it is. You need to identify its source. Now, this is important because, you see, the only way we find the help of God, I'm convinced, is as we honestly acknowledge the source of our concern. Now, listen to David as he expresses that, verse 5, all day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They Lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime, will they escape? And wrath cast down the peoples, O God. See, the tendency in the midst of difficult circumstances is to be pushed to two extremes. One extreme is to obsess, where we never take our mind off of it. And it's no surprise that our hearts are paralyzed by fear. The other extreme, however, is to deny, to pretend that there's nothing going on. 
And there will be some in our society today that want to adopt that attitude. They want to pretend that there is no such threat to this virus whatsoever. That isn't a prudent approach. The right approach is to acknowledge your fear for what it is. You need to identify the source. David knew his source of fear. And he addresses it in his own mind to God. And I would recommend, if we're going to be successful navigating the coming weeks and months, we need to admit what we're afraid of. You need to acknowledge that to yourself. Don't pretend that you're not afraid over this or that. That's why I love the Psalms. They're so honest with their emotions. David, more times than not, kind of lifts up the veil and allows us to see what's going on within his heart and mind. You need to be honest with what you're feeling, and you need to identify what the source of fear is for you. So, what is the source of your fear? Is it... An unseen virus? David's enemy was very much visible. He knew them by name. They were chasing after him. I guess part of the challenge in our situation is part of our threat is unseen. You walk into a room, you don't know if the virus is there. People are rushing to Costco to buy toilet paper. The virus could have been everywhere. But they didn't think about it. I mean, let's admit that according to what we're told, there is a virus that has the potential to be widely spread. Is that the source of your fear? That you'll contract the virus? Or somebody you love, they will contract the virus. You need to admit what it is. Or maybe it's not so much the virus that alarms you, it's what's happening in the stock market. And your fear is financial. You don't know what this means. Some of you, as retired adults, are dependent on the stock market doing well to sustain your livelihood. There are other business owners that are dependent on foot traffic to support them in what they do. And they wonder, based on the announcements of various government officials, what this means to them. All of those who have invested highly in sports uh, endeavors, whether it's March Madness or the NBA, you're talking about totally turning their financial landscape upside down. It happened in less than a week. I mean, is your fear financial? I mean, there are churches that will admit to you they're fearful about I mean, what we received from the city uh, on Saturday indicates they may extend some of these measures into the middle of April. There are a lot of churches that literally are dependent week by week upon the offerings of those that give to the Lord. And they're being told that we can't gather. And they wonder. Now, our church, we're in the midst of a $5 million building project. We were going to dedicate the children's building on April the 5th. But now what does this mean? I mean, is our fear financial? Is that the source of it? Or again, if you look at 
what affects the heart, maybe it's not so much financial. What troubles you the most is you just don't know what's coming next. I mean, be honest, three weeks ago, did you imagine this past week? I mean, I thought there is absolutely no way they're going to cancel March Madness. You know how much money that generates for colleges and universities? I mean, you know things are desperate when they start canceling sporting events. I mean, with a lot of people, sport is their God. You think about their devotion. But in a matter of a few days, one after the next, they're not meeting. Well, what does the next week hold? Or the week after that? Talk about an uncertain future. We are right in the middle of it, right? Is that the source of your fear? What I want us to do this morning is to be honest with what we're feeling. And we need to trace back to where the source originates. What is it with you? Is it the virus? Is it your finances? Is it the uncertainty of it all? Whatever it is, you need to acknowledge it to yourself first. Because it's only as you acknowledge it to yourself that you can then allow God to affect it. Which brings me to the third emphasis. When you are afraid, as you acknowledge the source of your fear, you immediately need to affirm God's presence in the midst of this situation. He is not absent. Remember how David expresses this. Though he's being pursued, look again at verse 3. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Observe, this is second person. He's not speaking as if God is removed from the situation. He's speaking as if God is present. I put my trust in you, God. He's mindful that he's not alone. In God, he adds, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? I love that question because as he's reminding himself that God is present, there's nothing that compares with God's sufficiency. If he's present. So what we do is we acknowledge the source. If my fear or my finances, is God present? Can we trust that he's greater than this topsy-turvy financial environment that we find ourselves in? Another one of David's psalms that is very helpful in light of today's events is the familiar Psalm 23. And in Psalm 23, verse 4, you remember how David expresses this, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you. Are with me. He doesn't say God is with me. Again, as if God is removed. It's second person. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, your presence, they comfort me. You need to affirm 
the presence of God. Look at that expressed in verses 8 and following. He says, David, you, second person, have kept count of my tossings. Now, some translations have the word wanderings. Uh, The word itself really does indicate that God is fully aware of David's dilemma as he's running from those that would destroy him. He says, you count them. You are accounting for them. You are not oblivious, in other words. You see them. And even more, you identify with my emotion. You put my tears in your bottle. He cares about what's happening to us. He's troubled about your set of circumstances. He collects your tears in a bottle. As a way of reassuring you, I know what's happening. He adds, are they not in your book? You see them, you care about them. Then my enemies, notice, will turn back in the day. And here's the phrase, when I call. He knows God's present. The enemies are after him. He's calling, he's confessing. And what is his confession? This I know that God is for me in whose word I praise, in the Lord whom I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? In other words, if God is with me, I'm secure. So as I find my heart troubled when I'm afraid, I admit the source, but I affirm his presence. I celebrate. I'm not in this alone. Remember how Paul expresses it in Romans 8 in an almost poetic way. Romans 8, 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or, can I go on, or virus or financial collapse or an uncertain tomorrow? Will any of these realities separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 37, no, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. I think that covers everything. Will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. When you're afraid, you need to affirm God's presence by faith. You do that. Now, as you affirm his presence, take heart. You likewise can ask for his help. I'm not just wanting to celebrate that he's here. I want to celebrate that he's actively making the difference in my life in the midst of this. And I can ask for his help. Listen to how David expresses that. Verse 9, then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. Yes, I know that God is for me. I love the emphasis when I call. 
It's not presumed. He asked. I would say to us, moving forward, let's not presume the sufficiency of God, though we can have confidence in it. Let's ask for his help. Let's turn to him. Now, those that participated in the Wednesday series, uh, the recurring passage that we looked at every single week are the familiar words of the Apostle Paul to the church at, at, at Philippi. And he writes these words, by the way, from a prison cell. See, he's writing out of a rather desperate set of circumstances. And listen to what he says. You know these words, but allow them to bring a fresh perspective into the midst of our set of circumstances. He writes to them and he says to them, listen, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I will say rejoice. He repeats himself because he's asking us to do something that is not natural. And he knows it and we know it. But we rejoice in the presence of the Lord. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. We're not in this alone. So, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. Well, how do you deal with the anxiety when it appears? In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. There's the remedy. And the peace of God, which makes no sense at all to an unbelieving world, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you hear what Paul's asking us to do in the midst of the uncertain tomorrow? We rejoice in the Lord's presence and we ask for his help. Now, if you've not already been doing that this past week, I mean, what's going on with you? You trying to make this alone? I mean, how do you look at what is being said and not find your heart turning to the one who is your help? And you ask for his help. Now, that doesn't mean that the problems are going to instantaneously disappear. That's not the promise with regard to prayer. The promise is that God will be faithful in providing for the needs of the hour. We will face no set of circumstances that are greater than his provision. He's faithful. So we ask and continue to ask for his help. Which brings me to the next emphasis. And this is the part that you really need to put into motion. As you're asking for his help, when you are afraid, what you now do is step forward in faith. You allow your encounter with God to affect your mental state so that you move forward in faith. And you see that in David in actually an inspirational way. Look at what he says in verses 12 and 13. I must perform my vows to you. Again, second person. To you, O God, I will render thank offerings to you. I don't know what his vows were. I do hear him saying, in spite of what they're trying to do, I'm going to move forward in faith. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to do, if I might use this phrase, the next good thing. To honor you. For you, verse 13, notice the tense, have 
delivered my soul from death. Now, he is in the middle of it, but now he speaks in, in a way that seems to indicate the provision has already happened. You have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. So many of David's psalms in his transparency admits the deep emotion, but if you follow much of what he says, he will inevitably move almost into a statement of fact before it's a fact. He's so confident of the sufficiency of God, he speaks as if it's already happened. And that's what he does to end this psalm. He's so confident. He knows he's going to walk before the Lord in the light of life. I affirm his presence. That's important. I seek his help. That's important. But then I step forward in faith. I don't move into the present with this sense of dread. I have an expectation that God who's with me indeed is going to bring me through. So that what I perhaps need to do is just do the next good thing. I focus on what can be done in a God-honoring way. I commit myself to that. I don't obsess on all the uncertainties. I focus on the next good thing that will honor God. And I do that. And God blesses my heart as I do that. Uh, departed from our series in Colossians to focus as we are today, but I would be remiss not to remind you in Colossians, Paul is just saying we just need to live in Christ. We need to walk in Christ. We need to allow God to order our steps in ways that we honor him. Remember the prayer that Paul prays, I take you to it just to remind you, we've been asking for wisdom about these things. Let's continue to ask and then act upon it. Paul says, and so from the day we heard, speaking of their faith, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Now, let me ask you, is this still applicable even in the set of circumstances that we're confronted with today? I would say all the more. We're asking for wisdom to know, well, what do I do? He adds, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Friends, we ask for his help. We also ask for wisdom to know what to do. And then we step out in faith and we do the next good thing. And here's what's astounding to me. If I will go into a day with this frame of mind and I just focus on the, the next good thing, to step out in faith, I can have an incredibly good day while everything around me is swirling in utter uncertainty. Don't focus on what will happen a week from now. Focus on the next good thing that's right in front of you and honor God with it. 
Pay your vows, as David expressed it. Just do the next good thing. Then the next good thing. Now, I could end there, but let me, before I do, as we talked about it in our Wednesday study, there are a couple of other steps that I would also suggest, just as a further encouragement. As you're responding in this way, you need to be patient with yourself particularly in light of how crazy things are right now. It's almost understandable that you find your heart panicked in a moment, just given the enormity of some of the actions that are being taken. So don't beat yourself up and suddenly find your heart fearful. Know, however, what you do when you're fearful. You identify the source, you affirm God's presence, you seek God's help, then you step out, do the next good thing. That's a pattern that we establish. Be patient with yourself. And I would also say allow for the support of others, which again, some of the measures that the government leaders are making almost is discouraging. They don't want us to interact or get together out of fear that we're going to be passing on the virus. And we need to be supportive of the collection, collective actions of our government. That said, we need to be careful that we don't isolate ourselves in the process. Isolation feeds an obsession of fear. So we need to look for ways that we can connect with each other and talk with each other. As far as I know, you don't pass on the virus by calling someone on the phone. You don't pass on the virus by writing someone an email or writing an actual letter. You don't pass on the virus in any of those measures, but in, in these kinds of ways, you can connect with others and you can admit, I don't want to walk this path alone. And you shouldn't. As a church leadership, we'll begin praying about, well, in light of what the government is asking, how do we maintain a, a level of connectedness to encourage and to strengthen? But the point is, we just need to know that that's something we need to pursue appropriately not foolishly, but appropriately. Now, we'll be praying about next Sunday whether or not we will seek to come together in this way or try to provide something online in a streaming format. Whatever happens, what I would stress, we don't approach this alone. We allow God to connect us in ways that allow us to be strengthened in our faith. I'm convinced God's going to do remarkable things through a church, through a believer that doesn't look at this as a calamity, but as a way that God can reveal more of himself. David White will be attending a meeting tomorrow with a city representative, and part of their discussion is going to be, how can the church be mobilized to help people in the midst of this? Who knows what might develop in that regard? Just a reference, and I'm going to post this. I'll send an email tomorrow with much of what we're describing. But my wife came across a blog of a woman by the name of Rebecca Franks. She is actually, she and her family live in Wuhan, China. They're American citizens that are there due to work. And so she's been in the epicenter of where this really started. And she had been posting a lot of negative uh, frustrations on Facebook as her journey started. 
And her husband made the comment, and she's a believer in Christ, by the way. Her husband made the comment, well, shouldn't you post some good things? And that got her to thinking. And she posted a lengthy um, blog. And again, I'll send you the link. It's very inspirational, where she just began to think about the good that she could see. She realized this, this was in day 48 of Wuhan being shut down. She says, our family has never been better in terms of the interaction because of the forced time that they were given. We've learned how to accept help from others. Uh, they realized they had neighbors in their multi-story apartment building that were in the same situation. And instead of hiding from one another, they were looking for appropriate ways to be supportive. She added, my cooking has gotten way more creative. Uh, supplies became shorter in supply. It should be noted, Debbie read a recent blog. She says, they've had no problem with toilet paper, by the way. <laughs> that was never an issue. She says, I've reconnected with lots of old friends. See, the time and space moved her to think in terms of who could I connect with, even online. My prayer life, she explains, has never been better. She's been talking to the Lord more actively we had church by Zoom this morning. They didn't go out. They stayed in, but they worshiped as a service was provided online. Uh, she says, God is providing so many opportunities for good while we are here, and he's showing us his goodness every single moment. She writes, we are at peace in the epicenter of the virus. We are at peace in the epicenter of God's will. Fear is a faithless coward and has no place in the lives of believers. Fear and worry have no seat at our table. We're here because he wants us here right now for his purposes. She explains the coronavirus wants you to isolate and to stock up and to take care of your own first. Instead, look to God first while you take care of others in community. We can do so much more than we can do on our own. God is caring for us so richly and showering us with so much good each and every moment. She ends by citing Psalm 118.6. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Don't isolate yourself to the degree that you cut yourself off. Allow this to be a shared journey. Which I come full circle. Let's end the message by saying this. Take responsibility for your thoughts. You probably need to moderate how much you watch uh, the news channels. You don't need to be watching that 24 hours a day. Determine now, I'm going to watch maybe 30 minutes just to make sure I'm informed. <laughs> and let me throw into this. Read more than the headlines. If all you do is read the headlines, it'll scare the fool out of you. Read the whole story. I mean, they do that to pull you in. 
Generally, if you read the whole story, you realize even though the headline seems alarming, there often is good, reassuring information in the midst of the story, if you would read it. Read the whole story. But most of all, in the midst of these things, like David, when you find your heart fearful, take responsibility for your thoughts and direct them toward the one who can help. Allow God in his presence to make the necessary difference. Will you do that? Let me pray for us. Father, I'm asking in these final moments that you bring our situation into focus appropriately. That you'll enable us now to move into the afternoon, into the week at peace. Now, that peace might be disrupted even before we get home. But we know what to do. We know where to turn. Teach us to trust in you. This might be one of the most extraordinary opportunities for our faith to grow. Teach us to trust in you. We ask in Jesus' name.